Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Eric Dillman from Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Now, Eric has got a podcast, which is um, very, very cool. He interviews a bunch of like HGTV stars on there. So that's something that's worth checking out, as well as um, he's a social media consultant and helps a lot of design businesses sort of do the zero to hero kind of area in there. And then he also, God knows how he fits it all in, has a design practice, an interior design practice. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, this should be cool. Um, I actually had the pleasure of recently recording a podcast with Eric as well, where he interviewed me. So he got the first uh, the first one. And now I get to discover all the things that we haven't discussed so far. And you guys get to come along on the journey with me on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could have recorded forever for mine. <laughs> exactly. It's so easy to have the conversation, which is fabulous. So let's mm-hmm. dig, you know, let's flip back to maybe, um, I don't know, either either we flip back to the start of, of sort of, you know, Eric's vision in life and then, you know, sort of the, the pieces that um, turned corners and took you in new directions. So why don't we do that? And obviously he has a, a love of design, passion about design and also, this connection thing with um, media, social media, podcasting, you know, Eric's an absolute connector. So let's cover off some of those things. But how did it all, I suppose, start? What was Eric as a young, like, boy? What was Eric doing? Yeah. I mean, I've always loved uh, designing um, yes. and homes in general, residential design since I was probably like 10 years old. I think my parents built their home, which they custom built back in like 2003. So I think I was like, you know, eight or so. Yeah. Um, and going to with them to all those appointments with, you know, the kitchen, the, the tile, the flooring, all that stuff really, really interested me. Um, I always thought I wanted to be an architect because I'm, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was all getting built around us. We were only like the third or fourth house on the street. So I get to see these houses get built and I would just sit in like my parents' living room window and just draw the houses as they were getting built. Yeah. How cool. Um, and I was, I just did that all throughout my teen years. And I was lucky enough to go to a school that offered architectural drawing classes and CAD classes and a bunch of different art classes that really fulfilled that side of design that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went into college, I thought I wanted to go into architecture until I shadowed a student that was in architectural school. And I found out that it was more the interior design stuff that I liked the most. Um, the whole interior architecture, you'd more say, I think interior design is kind of the wrong terminology for what I like to do. Um, I think a lot of people think of it as interior design as interior decorating. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I have a lot of people asking me, like, can you help me with my wall color or help me find couches and 
decorate yeah. my house. And I'm like, I'll, I'll help you, but I, I, that's not what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, isn't so. that an interesting distinction in the design world is there's, in, you know, interior architecture and or interior design. And let's make this distinction. And then there's interior decoration. And then they are linked but then there's quite a difference in the emphasis about what they do. And then there's, say, architecture um, or building design. And then they're, they're kind of linked in all of them as well. Yeah. And so in the client's mind, they are kind of one discipline. You know, yep. they don't really think of um, them being different until they go outside and then there's landscape architecture. You know, yeah. like that. so. So let's dig into that just a little bit. So you you spotted interior design versus, say, architecture, and what were the distinctions that like made it, um, I suppose, more attractive? Um, I think the livable space um, interested me more. Being able to personalize the space to the client itself. I mean, obviously, the outside has a lot to do with the house. Um, and I love the curb appeal and stuff, but it just, the inside just interested me so much more. Um, the clients using that space a lot more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it all runs together. You have to be friends with the architect. You have to be um, good with them and have good communication skills. But I've always just loved the inside of the home so much more. I always have this thing that I say, because um, I, I love the interior of a home is you actually live in a house. Yes. You live in it. You know, it's somewhere you go through a door or through whatever. You live in there. Um, and that's where when you, you know, you come home, you don't spend, you know, the next like 12 hours in the garden. You spend those 12 hours inside the home or, or in and out of the home. But, you know, if you look at what we do as human beings, Sleeping is our um, single biggest activity. Um, yeah, other than all the awake activities get broken into pieces, but sleeping, sleeping, you know, you yeah. don't, you, you know, you, if you looked at them, you go, oh, okay, so this big chunk is sleeping. And you think about the um, importance of that for us as humans and our health and all those things. But then also you're doing that inside the structure most of the time. Yeah. And people are spending you know, even when they're in their home, so say they go to work all day, they come back to their home and they might get five or so hours before they go sleeping and as their next activity. And then they ideally would get seven hours of that at all plus. And then they might spend another couple of hours before they leave their home. And so it would be a balance of maybe up to 50, 50%. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what interests me the most because I mean, architecture, you, they're going to be seeing the house on the outside when they pull in and pull out every day. Um, but a lot of the inside, you, it's all how that person feels they're, they're customizing it to themselves. Um, you know, home is as much as you make the home personalized to yourself. Um, and I just love being able to do that to a customer and make them happy in their own home. Yeah. Um, and it also, it's there's a lot more remodels happening on the inside than the outside of a home once yeah. you buy it. So, I mean, th 
that's another big thing. You know, you don't, you will buy a house and for the most part, lots of people don't do anything on the outside. Uh Um, They'll do a roof or get new windows or something. Something that's necessary. Yeah. So for the most part, you're doing the insides work. So it's nice to have, you know, that referral basis because everybody, everybody in their life has done something, some type of remodeling in their house. If it's very, very DIY, small, big. Yeah. I totally agree. It's uh, uh, a a bigger customer base, but b it's a closer connection often with um, the client. Like you know, I, I always think of it as is that you're you have to know them. You could do the just re- really the architecture without knowing them. You could just respond to the site and the weather conditions mm-hmm. and and a style or you know, maybe not even a style, like you could have your own signature style as an architect that you do. Um, and then somebody comes and it turns from a house to a home when they live in it. Exactly. And that's the personal side. Oh, yeah. And that's something I've always, like if a new designer's coming out of school or they ask for advice, my biggest thing is just making sure you're interviewing your client. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's people think it's the client should be interviewing you to see if you're qualified for the job, which they should be doing anyways, but you should be interviewing them too. Um, I specialize a lot in kitchen. So it's asking a lot of questions on how they use the kitchen, what they store in certain spots um, because you, you don't want to just blindly design something. That's when something's going to go wrong. Some they're not going to like it. Um, so you, you have to personalize it. And I feel like a lot of designers nowadays design for their portfolio and they're oh, not yeah. designing for the client. Uh-huh. Um, so they could get that Instagram picture um, or website. Picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you shouldn't be designing like that. And I know quite a few designers that work that way and they only give you one design. And if you don't like it, you have to go find someone else because they're not going to waste their time. Um, yeah, wow. That's not a good attitude to have. No, I'm with you, man. I, I go, um, this is actually, you know, about the client. It's it's empathetic. And the exactly. design, the design is empathetic, you know, for how it will make them feel, but also how it will operate. You know, mm-hmm. like you get a left-handed person. How do you set up something for a left-handed person who lives in a right-handed world? How do we set up the thing to work best for them? I've got a client at the moment and um, we're designing the house. Uh, and in that, we're very focused on the interior. Um, not so much the decoration, but very focused on the interior layout because she's in a wheelchair. And oh, okay. so, you know, we, we've got this amazing woman, beautiful um, piece of land, and you go... Okay, so doors all need to slide. That's the first thing. No swing doors in this house. It's all slide. And then, you know, where it slides to, most hallways are 12. Uh, you won't know the, the figures on this, and I can't do them in my head quick enough, but 1,200 millimetres to 1,500 millimetres wide. Um, so there's these, all these widths and these circulation spaces that are critical. So yeah. you... you in, in essence, I'm designing the house inside out. Exactly, yeah. Working on the interior architecture 
prior to working on the exterior um mm -hmm. for that reason yeah for that reason yeah yeah but yeah uh, that's actually i think we actually talked about this in mind but like sometimes you could tell would you have someone that's inexperienced like a, that is strictly maybe like me like an interior architect or uh -huh. interior designer who partakes and makes a design on the outside um you could tell because mm -hmm. the house on the outside is not as, as as aesthetically pleasing as the inside because you're forcing a design that is just not going to work architecturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's always a good thing to have if you know your strong suits and your weak um, points and figuring out if architecture is not your thing, partner up with an architect that can make that interior layout dream come true. For sure. For sure, as a client strategy, that's absolutely. Um, I've got a, a, a good mate and he's um, an, an architect and I remember saying to him something one time, <laughs> sitting around, you know, drinking cocktails or something, I said something to him about um, the interiors and he said, oh, I know nothing about them. And I said, what? And he goes, I know nothing about them. He said, I don't, I don't do the interior part, man. I do the architecture. And I'm like, how do you separate those? And he's like, well, I've got a really, really good interior, guys. And um, I don't separate them. I just don't cross the line. And, I, and yeah. we're chatting about, um, about landscaping as well. And he goes, that's a line I don't cross. So I don't cross that line. He said, oh, yeah. I work with some amazing um, landscape architects, but we start with them the same time as we start drawing the house, as we start working with the interior design. And uh, it's really like this big three-pronged approach that all comes together. And, um, yeah. yeah, just uh, just really interesting. Like I was like, oh, okay, I didn't realise that you, you know. Well, not not that he doesn't, isn't capable, just that he doesn't do it. He just says, uh, I'm an expert here, they're an expert there. We're, we're doubly experts or triply experts working together. Yeah. And I think that's what truly probably sets him aside to the competition mm. because, you know, he's not trying to be everything. Not actually like, it's like me doing, not um, asking someone to do custom woodwork and I'm designing it knowing that wood doesn't come in that size or yeah. that door won't swing or something. I need yeah. to talk to those vendors as well to make sure like my vision's coming through. I can't just make something up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. Just doesn't yeah, come back to well. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, it has, it's had its shortcomings. Um, with that, you know, growing up as a kid and being lucky enough to um, experience having a custom home, because uh, many people never do, um, it's a really interesting thing to, you know, to be a part of a process like that when you're young. And oh, yeah. also see the journey that your parents went through to create it. Tell us a bit about that if you've got some any fun highlights from it. Yeah, so for the most part, all I remember mostly is just running around in the stores looking at all the material. It's kind of like when you take me to like a home improvement store now, I kind of just like lose track of time, I lose who I'm with. I'm just all over the place, just looking at everything, possibilities and brainstorming new ideas in my head to redesign my house or yeah, this work for this design. Yeah. Um, so that that process, I knew it was probably very stressful for my parents. 
Um, but I don't remember that side, and it's probably a smart thing on their part to not show that. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I am where I am. Yeah, yeah, because it, it hit you right at a really formative stage, um, and you know what? Right as there were different doors opening in life. Mm. Exactly. Really yeah, cool. it was at that. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to actually know what I wanted to do since I was little and actually stick to it. I yeah. feel like a lot of kids want to do one thing um, and it changes like 10 times. But I'm just – because it's like impossible to know what you want to do at 18 years old. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. It's such a struggle. And I'm just glad I never had to struggle like that. I'm very lucky that that was even a possibility in my life. But, yeah, it's been it's been a fun process. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, I can see it has. One of the other things um, is your social media business, or when I say business, your yeah, social media business and how you work as a consultant there and how that dovetails back into, you know, um, ultimately this thing of you're uh, an amazing human connector. So, you know, you, you, you build rapport quickly with people, you a great listener, you've got empathy with them um social media doesn't have any of those pieces it's it's like it's like a facade as opposed to a true well not necessarily not a true connection but less human connection it's yeah a, it's an imagined connection um tell me about that journey <laughs> and, um, and how you work I, with people in yeah i think it helps out when you have it in real life um a lot of people try to make that facade on social media and tried to be compassionate and listening and stuff, but you could always, it shows it's very fake. And I think that's what maybe was one of my benefits of getting to where I was on social media, just because I cared about people. I'm on it. I was on it a lot in the beginning, still a fair amount now. Um, but being able to just like, like someone's post or comment on someone's post just to make their day um mm -hmm. you know we all start at zero um we all start our business at some point um so it's nice to always have that um review from someone that you don't know um it can make your whole day yeah i think that's so true as well like it's kind of like uh you know when you go to the corner store well those are almost a thing of the past but when you go to the corner store or you know the gas station or something and you take time to make eye contact with somebody and thank them or say to them, you know, like, you know, say to them something about them or, you know, make comment on um, having, enjoying their day, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and listening, not just making comment, like there's got to be authenticity in it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People see it. I, I know plenty of designers that don't even have that in person. Um, they're amazing designers and they can uh -huh. make it very far in life, but they don't have that compassion and, empathy in real life so it, it really shows throughout their clientele yeah right yeah that's interesting really interesting so then with with that um as a as a business how do you kind of operate that separate it from the podcast and separate it from your design business like, like what's yeah. the, what's the juggle <laughs> yeah, I mean, since the beginning, since I started this, um, my social media account, it has all been done 
on the weekends and at night. So right. I'm done with everything. Um, and so, I mean, I basically started the social media account just as a portfolio page, basically mm-hmm. for clients to look at my um, past projects. Um, also some inspiration from other designers. I'll call out on my page of some stuff they did. So yeah. a client can see that and they're like, Ooh, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, that's really how that all came about. So it's all just done on the side um, as like a, uh, five to nine type of job yeah right yeah after the paycheck kind of jobs yeah yeah um, yeah and i mean sorry go no go ahead oh i was gonna say and then um with you know a reasonable level of success in it did that lead to other people obviously saying how do you help me with this and then you know you, oh yeah yeah I think during COVID was when a lot of stuff changed with my Instagram account. Um, Like 2020, like June of 2020, I was, my account was hacked. Um, It it was very, very scary because, you know, I've spent so much time in um, not really money. I've done it pretty much all um, with no bills or anything, but it was deflating because I was at like, a couple thousand followers um, and seeing that like, I don't have access to this account. Someone completely took it and they were selling it on the black market was the messages I was getting from them. Um, and Instagram doesn't help you with that. They right. don't have a, they don't have a customer support system to help you. Um, I mean, they do, but the hacker was smarter than them. So there was no way they could help. Yeah. Right. So, after I got it back. Um, so so tell me about that. Just, just pause there a bit. So yeah. somebody hacked you. And as you say, you've done like, it, it, it's like you've done all the push-ups. You've done all the work. You've done that, you know, all that work that takes um, time to, to do. Somebody hacks it. And what are they going to do with it? Are they trying to blackmail you or? Yes, and they were also trying to sell it on like the black web for anybody. Well, anybody because it shows how many followers it has. It keeps that. It keeps the amount of followers that person has. Once people start, if someone bought the account and they started posting on it, they'll know it's not me. Yes, Um, they don't know that I'm gone. They just know there's a new person here that they follow that has a lot of followers, Um, and that's a value to some people, I guess. Wow. Um, okay. Just by the right way in. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. Right. Okay. I, I I hear about it happening, but I um I didn't understand. You know. Yeah. That's it's that's what up. the outcome is that they're looking for. Oh yeah, yeah. It's messed up. They, I mean, I could have got it back faster, but they wanted money for it, and you know. Yeah. Heard many stories about that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So um. In helping, um, you know, people or consulting to for people to build their own. Um, yeah, I suppose. Right that- when I got, yeah, right when I got my account back, I started getting a lot of messages um, about all kinds of stuff, um, and one of them was helping them consulting. I think it was a real estate agent first um, in Michigan that I helped out, um, 
And then I just found out that I kind of loved it and I added it to my bio and I helped the other, some more people out along the way. Um, and I'm no, I didn't go to college for this. I don't have any training in social media. It's more so my own research and practicing a bunch of different techniques and figuring out what worked for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. trying to figure that out with someone else in a different area, helping them out with how I got there, but it, it's, there's no secret potion to it. There's no uh -huh. secret to getting exactly where you're going to get. It's mostly it's staying consistent is my biggest thing. If you don't say consistent, they're going to, your followers are going to drop your, your engagement rate drop. Yeah. They don't know what to expect from you. So therefore they, it, it, it's like, I use this example a lot with things, you know, McDonald's might make, you know, some people think their burgers are fantastic. Other people think they're crap. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter what their burgers are. They're the same wherever you go. So yeah. It, 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 yeah. Like, and consistency means that you can rely on it. Good or bad, you can rely on it. It's going to yeah. be there and it's got a set of values that's understandable. And yeah, I think that's yeah. it's a really good I mean, point. Yes. The, the consistency is what people usually lack when they, right before they give up, um, <laughs> they, you know, the consistency is not there. And uh, if you just keep going, you're going to get there. Um, you yeah. might have dull periods. I still have dull periods where my following or my engagement rate goes down or my following goes down um, or I don't get as many followers in a week. A lot of people in my generation, at least, we kind of grew up with social media or it started coming in in our years where we're really developing and it has affected mental health hugely. Um, and we're always comparing our lives to someone else's life. Um, so knowing that we're only gonna put the good stuff out on social media, it's, we're not putting the bad, the heartache. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think I, I get a lot of messages, mean messages too, about the following and stuff like that and not working hard and all that stuff to get to where I was, but you don't see like, the all the behind the scenes stuff of course. yeah yeah and you almost have to run it like a business itself separate from your other your other businesses yeah uh, even if it's supporting a business it's a completely separate business um and a lot of people don't think it that way they're thinking is it just as a tool for their business yeah there's a that's a really good distinction i think you know i think most people think of it as a necessary tool for their business as opposed to thinking of it as a business. Exactly. I, I think yeah. that's, you know, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, like the, like the design practice. You go, oh, well, it's a tool for the design practice. But actually, it's a business like the design practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really um, interesting distinction for people to take, you know, like, if you, if you treat each of them, uh, I'd say even if they're under one umbrella, but if you treated each of them in a business sense as being a profit center or a return on investment, either way, but a profit yeah. center or with a return on investment, um, you know, as you say, people don't see the thousands of hours that you put in early on for, oh, yeah. for no return. And exactly. then the thousands of hours that you go beyond that, 
um, that manages it and keeps that consistency and keeps a strategy. And uh, that's where a social media consultant is um, probably hugely, hugely valuable. To, oh, yeah. It moves it from being a tool to being a profit center or, or a, you know, if it's your marketing channel, then it's a profit center um, in your business. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It, and another thing I always tell people, it's, it's harder in the beat. It's harder like when you're doing it, like for me, it's harder now than it was when I started it just because um, I staying consistent, making sure I have enough content now, make sure I have, I mean, being in the profession I'm in, it's very hard. It's expensive to put posts out because a lot of your projects you're paying for, like if it's your home personal project, yeah. Um, but you know, you're also getting the okay from a customer, which is actually I found extremely hard to post uh-huh. pictures of their homes. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a lot of the times I haven't been able to post. So it's a lot of my own personal stuff because of that. But I mean, I talked to a TikTok star on my show about a month ago or two months ago and we're talking about like i mean she's posting every day yeah and it's expensive to do and she's doing her whole house she's just remodeling her whole house and every post is pretty much a different part of her house um and she's made she's made a great following a great social media account but it's very very expensive to do it's that's an interesting thing as well isn't it like in any business you have to invest um, and it's going to be sweat. Sweat equity is going to be part of whatever it is. But then the other is is being aware that um, if you want this thing to succeed, then you've got to treat it like an investment um, and you've got to be prepared to put money into it. I, I look at TikTok not so much. Uh, my daughters do more than I do, obviously. Uh, but with it, one of the things that I see is is that the, you know, the level of video production, um, you're making many movies every day or many commercials every Basically, day yeah. or, or, or whenever you do. Um, yeah. And, and then that means there's a videographer, there's sound, there's somebody editing, there's all these things that are layered in to make those things happen. And as you say, really expensive. You know, a few oh, yeah. static photos is a lot cheaper than it is um, to, to have a videographer and a team. Yeah, and that's why I always tell people to make multiple content pieces with a job. Like, you know, you make a reel on a TikTok video with it, yeah. um, before and after pictures, close-ups. Just You can make four or five different posts with just one job and not making it look like you keep posting the same job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of stretch your dollars a little bit. Yeah. And if you're going to do a photo shoot or whatever it is, is take your video team as well as your, um, you know, still photography team so that what happens is this one's documenting the other as well as documenting you in the process. So as you say, you can broaden the content level. Out exactly. Of the- yeah, out of the yeah, dollars. And if you spent. don't, if you don't have that and can't afford that, I mean, I do all my stuff myself. I uh-huh. I got the nicest phone for that reason, so I could take pictures that of quality. I have ring lights. I have umbrella lights that I have on right now. I have uh, different tripods, uh, a gimbal for my phone to make real nice transitions of videos. Um, 
so investing in that way too, if you can't exactly afford to invest in a person or a professional to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really good. It's great advice, man. Great advice. I mean, for people who are listening, um, I think there's two in the, in the piece that we're talking around social media is, is the consistency, having a plan, the consistency, get a consultant, like get Eric to talk you through it. Um, <laughs> seriously, like you've done it, you, you've, you've achieved it, you know where it goes and you know um, how to do it for a design-based business as well. Um, and then, you know, having that broader strategy and how that will work is really critical to uh, actually making it successful. And don't think of it as just a tool for another business. Think of it as a business that co-handshakes with the other business. Exactly. You know, that, that it's architecture and interior architecture. Mm-hmm. They exactly. are, that they, they, they fit together, you know, the, the hand and glove and then interior decoration. They all fit together um, and create something, which is, yeah, that, which is an end product. So take me from there to your podcast. And um, yeah. as I say, you know, you've got your um, HGTV, which is Home and Garden, for those who don't know, but I'm going to get Eric to explain that better. Stars that you've got on there. Um, and look, it's kind of a given that you really got a lovely rhythm with how you do it. You've got a question answering, you love discovery. So you've got an interest in people. All those things are kind of like, they don't have to be a passport for doing the podcast, but they mean that it's um, an easy success for you in the podcast because, uh, you know, you, you, you take advantage of opportunity and then you also are really good with people that whole interest in people, which, again, gives you empathy as a designer and it also probably gives you great insights in the social media area because you're, you're seeing what attracts and how that um, works for people. So tell me about podcast and um, COVID and kicking it off and making plans yeah. and uh, go from there. Give me, give me some runway and then chuck us in the deep end. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole idea, my podcast is called Pro Series. You can search Pro Series with Eric Doman on anywhere. Um, but it all started in 2019, like fall. Um, it was really just an idea of posts. So I didn't necessarily like to be on camera. I didn't like taking pictures of myself. So I reached out to professionals starting in my area of Pittsburgh and then kind of going all over the place um just having them send me their advice on a homeowner what they could do to her home to help their resale value okay um and then covid happened fall i mean in the spring of 2020 (laughs) and i just felt like defeated like i wanted to do something else and i know i have to put myself out there um so my first person was Ward Schrader, who is on um, HGTV, which HGTV is our home and garden TV network. Um, they have a bunch of really not a lot of garden shows. Um, it's really just home renovation, home flipping. It's very, very big here in America. Sure. Um, yeah, Ward Schrader from Bargain Mansion. She, he does a show with his daughter, um, Tamara Day, and 
probably in the fall of 2019. We were followed each other. I don't know who followed it, who. Um, and then on we started each other. Yeah. Yeah. On, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and then the summer of 2020, I kind of just went out on a limb and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to message him and see if he even like likes the idea of to get interviewed on Zoom. And thankfully enough, he said yes. And that was my very, very first pro series post with me in it was with an HGTV star, which was absolutely mind blowing. Um, and then after that, I got a lot of good messages from that. So I just kept it going um, up until this past December of 2021 or actually November, I decided to make it into a podcast. I was going to launch the first of 2022 and the whole month of November into December, I just started recording a bunch of episodes um, so I could launch new episodes every week starting in 2022, which is, it's very hard. So you have to do it ahead of time and keep it in your back pocket. Um, but they're basically episodes I talk to um, HGTV stars, real estate agents from around the world, designers from around the world, like you. Yeah. Um, and I kind of did that and not doing it in my area because I'm already stuck in my bubble here um, in Pittsburgh. I wanted to see how other creative minded people around the world in the same profession I'm in think about stuff and how they work um, and also inspire people. We talk about kind of like how we did this in the podcast. We talk about how they started out in the business and how they got into HGTV or how their business started just to kind of help people that are starting out um, kind of just a reminder that everybody starts from zero and you can make it to whoever that guest that week, you could get to their level. Um, yeah. And it just helps people that that's something I would have want to listen to. And when I was in college going for design, I would love to hear how people I looked up to, how they got to where they are. Um, so that's kind of how the podcast went about. And it's just going strong now. Yeah. I, look, I, when I discovered your podcast, um, I was like on Instagram and the fact that you streamed, well, not streamed it live, but like you, you put it up on Instagram. The video, yeah. Yeah, like it caught my eye because of my podcasting. I'm like, huh. So put the whole podcast up on Instagram. I went, wow, okay, that's really interesting. Um, I'd never considered um, that anybody would want to sit and watch us talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I but I guess when you've got um someone who's already got a profile like uh you know an HGTV star, then people are like, wow, okay, yeah, they, they're interested in them before they're interested in you. And oh, yeah. um then from that it builds off from the other. I um one of the things that I love about the way you do that is I can chuck it on and it creates another level of human connection because i might have it sitting on you know like a, a, on a pad in the in the office and i'll have you playing and i'm listening to something but every time i glance over you're actually in the room with me not just in my ears um yeah. and it, and and it's a it can be a distraction but b it's like oh wow what was that and i'll go back and you get to read a little bit of body language from each person as well um, oh yeah 
which, yeah, it's just another whole level of engagement. And it certainly um, put a tick against, for me, I went, okay, let's, let's do that with the format. Let's um, do that kind of, you know, live one. I have some people who go, this, I won't be seen, will I? You know, and um, I have to say to them, look, you won't be seen. You won't be seen. It's, uh, we're, we're not going to have, we'll have photos of you and we might have some photos of your work but we're not going to stream the whole thing live to anybody or anything like that. But that's going to be a shift that I've taken from what you do because I've gained so much more engagement. You know, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is um, Debbie Millman's um, Design Matters. Yeah. And I love Debbie's style and my God, she's the most investigative um Oh, what would you say? Like her investigation into things. She, she's kind of like, so when you were in school, there was um, a little sandy-headed kid in, you know, third grade. And he's told, he, he told me this thing that I should ask you about. And it's like, how the hell did you find out I had a sandy-headed kid in the class, you know, in third grade or whatever it was? Um, yeah, she's got this investigative team or herself that really digs down into things. And it's not my style of doing things, but I find it fascinating. And if I watched hers, if I could see it, I would be like, oh, oh my God. That partly, not so much the surprise, because I don't think you surprise guests. What you do is, is you journey with them. But that thing of them going, no way. How did you get that information? You know, like yeah. they, they love it. And then they're so also amazed by it. Um, but if I could see that, I think the reactions would be really fabulous to watch. It oh, yeah. Be, yeah. But I can't it's, see it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that about the video because a lot of podcasters tell me I shouldn't do that because they say post little snippets so people can go yep. to the, the podcast. Yeah. To Apple Podcast. To or, I have a lot of viewers. Yeah. I have a lot of viewers that don't do podcasts and they don't listen to them. They don't, um, they don't even know how to work it. Um, so I wanted to make it accessible for everybody. I have it on my YouTube page, yeah. on LinkedIn, I put it on Facebook. Um, so it just gives you another avenue to look at it. Um, and then also that's how I started. I, it wasn't a podcast until episode 21 <laughs> or something like that. That's so perfect, man. So yeah, always all, been all this, this podcast platform. I better put them up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I had people reach out there. I was only putting the videos out. And last fall, they're like, you should make this into a podcast. And I never really thought of that and didn't even know how to start that. Um, and that's kind of how I kind of did my research and started it and wanted to do it first of this year. I love that. I love that. You know, it, um, it's meeting people where they're at. And again, come back to this design thinking and empathy of humans. Um, if you don't listen to podcasts, but you are on Instagram, or if you uh, <laughs> aren't on Instagram, but you listen, or you watch YouTube, you're giving them the opportunity to enjoy it where they're at, not where you're at. You're not trying to say, you can only buy this at this space, <laughs> you know, like exactly. It's a one store and you've got to come to my one store. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it does hurt your numbers a lot, like your um, downloads and your views and your listens and stuff, having it on multiple platforms. But I honestly don't care about the numbers right now. I kind of just like doing this, this interview Mm -hmm. um, type of process and just talking to other people that I would never talk to um, it just because where we live and uh, geographically, we can't make this work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- I'd rather have a lot of people messaging and talking about it than getting a lot of views about it um, uh-huh. on one platform. Uh-huh. So tell me about some of the guests that you've had and um, things, highlights that you've learned or, you know, light bulb moments, um, funny guests, you know, some, some guests you have to work harder with than others. Um, yeah. Give me some, I- give me some stuff. Yeah, I've been kind of bust because I was able to interview two HGTV stars pretty much right off the bat. Right so out of yeah, right. Ward Schrader and then Carrie Lachlan with Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Um, and then I also did a real estate agent named Grant Bates um, over in the UK. Um, and all of these conversations I've had are just amazing i don't have to like i set topics send them topics to approve before the show um or i send their send talk to their agents about it um and for the most part we don't even go over those topics it's just the conversation kind of just flows naturally Mm -hmm. yeah and that that's my favorite part i've never really had to like drag anything out of anybody which has been amazing knock on wood (laughs) that's not gonna be a fun episode but yeah, it's a lot of HGTV stars, real estate agents, designers. I've also did um, a celebrity mental um, and lifestyle coach, um, which really was really cool. Um, and I'm just kind of switching it up and not just doing designers and architects and stuff. I'm trying to stay with the business theme of it all, like business coaches and stuff. Um, yeah. But for the most part, it's a lot of people in the design and real estate industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's real value in, you know, like with, with a podcast is, is having a, 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 a definite aim of where you're trying to head to, but then also having some width to that aim, because like you say, everybody who's in the design business is still in a business. So then if you have like a business coach or somebody like that in there, then there's, there's gold about what they know and about how they do things. And, um, and it gives other people who may listen to you from the creative point of view, they go, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, that would be a really interesting way of approaching this. Um, and, you know, they're learning outside of their own sphere. You know, they're not just listening to their peers. They're actually listening to the other people that make a difference in how life happens. Yeah. And I try to think of it as my key viewer is someone that is an entrepreneur of any type. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might be in the design business. And it, I want to help them overall. So mentally, business-wise, design-wise, all of that. Yep. So, and I, I don't want it to be stale. I don't want it to be the same thing every episode. Um, Cause a lot of people that follow me might just follow me because they're friends with me or their family. Sure. Um, they don't want to hear, they might not necessarily like design as much as I do. 
So I kind of <laughs> want to switch it up a little bit. I've got a question around that. How often do you listen to your own episodes? Never. Yeah. Never. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I, I make a, a mark in my mind where I mess up. And if someone else messes up to edit it out, but I don't listen to myself or watch myself. Like I'll do 30 seconds, but oh, I sure. never listen to a whole episode. Yeah. I was uh, recently, I, I very rarely listen to the whole episode. I will have um, people I've interviewed that I go, oh, this was, this was golden. And I'll, I've, I've got a pad beside me while I'm doing this and I make little notes and uh, on that, just little ideas that I hear or things that you say, like, you know, when you said before, um, they're like separate businesses and treat them like that. Yeah. I wrote that down. I went, this is such a, a key factor in mindset of how you approach it. And I go, so I would go, back maybe if we had a big discussion about something about that and go so what is it that you put linked to that you know what what was that little linkage and I go yeah that was you know Eric and I talking and it was probably sometimes I'll make a little time note but you know it was 42 minutes in or some yeah. I'll go oh it was towards the end so then the end was say one hour so made maybe about 40 whatever minutes in. and so I really find that that but to listen to myself Oh my god, no, no, I don't want to do that. Hard pass that. on that one. <laughs> yeah, Very yeah. hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> and, and that, let's say if like I post a picture of myself, yeah, I don't look back at it. I mean, obviously it's on my profile, so it's kind of there, but I don't like because I know you'll overanalyze it and yeah, you're like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have looked like that, or <laughs> yeah. gotta yeah. move this over. Um, and I guess that's the design side of me too. Um, little but, bit of a little bit of anxiety in, the, in that whole yeah. piece of going, oh, really? Like, I've got a couple of pictures of me where my shirt collar is um, twisted. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, really? Like, and I'll use them sometimes. Or the girls in my, in my studio will use them. But um, I'm like, how come, how come the photographer didn't spot it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just that sort of thing. Um, if somebody's going to start a podcast, got a couple of tips for them. What would you suggest they do first? Ooh, um, mainly figure out what you're going to do in the podcast and figure out if you could actually do that concept or that topic forever or however long you want to do the podcast. Cause like a lot of people go in and make a podcast or they'll make a season or they'll make 20 episodes and they're burnt out. Um, so make sure you have the correct topic and do your research on the host sites. Um, I use anchor, um, but just knowing the benefits and disadvantages, I think they, they cater to certain clients and niches that you're going to talk about. So just figuring that out. Um, uh -huh. and then kind of just, if you hate being on camera like me and seeing, yourself on the camera just upload it just press yeah. the upload button that's all Boom, about it. gone yeah let it go set it free yeah. set it free. yeah <laughs> and again stay consistent too because if you post like once a month or once every other week or two weeks or something like that it gets kind of 
people are going to stop. They're going to lose interest in it. Yeah. If you're not consistent, if you just randomly. Yeah, exactly. They're expecting fresh all the time. How often yeah. do you post? Once a week. Once a week. And yeah, what usually made, Wednesday or Thursday. What what makes you what made you do a weekly format? Um, I kind of I'm not afraid of asking advice from guests. Like after I'm done recording an episode, the conversation usually goes on for another half an hour or 45 minutes sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, so I always ask for advice from them on ways to make it better or i've had a couple podcasters on and they're like do it twice a week and i know my schedule does not allow for twice a week that's just it's a that's a hard pass right now i can't do that um so once a week is pretty good for me and that allows me to record a couple during the evenings on during the week to keep in my back pocket so um I, i a lot of people think you record this tonight, it's going to go out tomorrow. But in reality, most podcasts are months and months out from the day yeah. it gets released. Unless there's so some build time. Up yeah, build up a, a few. And that, unless there's something that is um, a timestamp for it, that's exactly. critical. You know, mm-hmm. like we'll sometimes podcast with somebody who is um, going to do an event or something and we'll go, cool, let's... Um, Let's do a podcast and we'll fire that one out quickly, mm-hmm. you know, that week, within days sometimes. Um, oh, yeah. So that then that goes out and, you know, all the listeners and stuff get a chance to actually then re- interact with what's coming next. Yeah. Um, and I've done that too. Like if there's a product launch or yeah. there in February, I had to release one fast for um, an HGTV show. It was premiering um, like the day before, day after I, I recorded the episode so i had to get it up like as soon as possible so i i cater to the guests and i asked that if do you need it done by a certain day or do you need it released by a certain day um because you know we're all here to promote something but we also want to do have the conversation with another person oh yeah the connection and conversation if there was no promotion of anything it wouldn't matter it would (laughs) the joy of doing it is is the the joy of the connection and um and then you oh, learn yeah. you learn so much learn so much so i've got oh, yeah. one last question man okay tell me uh, you could do three if you want or otherwise two guests that would be a, a big stretch but like would be your ultimate like two guests in the next six months so who would Dang. it be who would you be um, ch- who would you just go, oh, that would spin my wheels like crazy to have that person? There's, I mean, 100% Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, All right. Not sure yep. if you know who it is. I've, I've um, actually. But um, they started on HGTV. Yeah. Yeah, they started on HGTV and then they built this humongous empire of home decor, paint all kinds of materials. They have their own TV network now here in America. So they've built this humongous empire. So definitely them. Um, there's also another person that, that I keep in touch with on Instagram that's already said no, not necessarily said no, they weren't allowed to do it oh, yeah. due to their contract. Uh-huh. So it'd be cool if they ever got out of that contract to be able to interview them. 
Um, and then it'd be cool to interview a host, like a famous host, like um, yeah. Ryan Seacrest or someone like that. Um, yeah. Just to kind of give tips to people that are starting their podcast on how to fill dead air, dead air and kind of ad lib stuff and ask questionings and tone of voice and all that stuff. I think that'd be really cool to talk about. That would be fascinating, wouldn't it? That would be really, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, I actually had, uh, goodness, I don't know, maybe six years or so ago, um, I was meant to meet with Chip Gaines. Oh, really? And so, you know, we were talking before about you just reach out to people. So um, they, yeah. they're on TV here as well. Um, well, they were back in the day and really interesting. Um, I was going to Texas to see a architectural homes tour. And um, so there's one in Austin, Texas, every about October. And um, it's fantastic. And I can make a trip from Australia and go to uh, ACL. So Austin City Limits Festival. I can get there. Um, if I if I go there kind of on the weekend I arrive, then the following weekend will either be the Grand Prix, so the Formula One, and if not, mm-hmm. it will be the Homes Tour, and then the following weekend will be the Grand Prix. They kind of just swap around. And uh, you get the second weekend of the um, Austin City Limits. And so if you time a trip right from here, you can get these three amazing events um, all in Austin and you've got all week to go and do you've got two kind of week weeks in between where like I might go to Nashville or I might go and see you know somebody else or you know go go up to um Arizona or something take a week of kind of a holiday and then really the rest of it's business other than the festivals and yeah I was there and I went well so these guys are in Waco which Waco is you know not that far from Austin not that far from mm-hmm. Dallas And I went, okay, let's set this thing up. So I did. I set up this meeting um, at the silos with Chip. And um, Jonah wasn't going to be available, but Chip was going to be available. And I'm like, so I did this all from Australia. And so when I got there, the the one thing they'd said is, is, look, we'll be available on this day, um, which was, say, a Thursday or something. that will be he'll be available on this day come to the silos you know it'll all happen and the day before that day i got an email saying chips had to cancel the meeting however come if you want to come to the silos his um like pa he said mm-hmm. she said i will take you around i'll tour you tour the whole silos with you and so I have a whole bunch of video of me touring the silos with her because I still took the opportunity to go. Um, oh, yeah. And I've never done anything with the video. It's just sitting in a, you know, in a computer file. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. And she took me to, you know, through employee places, through the all sorts of things, um, explained all sorts of things about the business. We hung out on the rooftop all these kind of things, but yeah, like, you know, those number of degrees of separation um, is that thing. I think that'd be brilliant to have on the podcast. I think. That'd oh be, yeah. Yeah. It'll I would fun. love to start being able to do it in person too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have that budget to get to that's all a these big, places. I was about to say it's a big um, weekly travel schedule as well, you know. You're asking to be in a car to the airport and on a plane. You need a private jet or a helicopter if you're doing that stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, I just don't have that money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. But, yeah, you do. Like, um, if you could do them in person, it would be incredible. Yeah. Oh, I think that would change. I'm going to try to. I, the mic company, this mic company, JLab, that sent them to me, they sent me a couple extra ones so I can start doing them in person. So. I would love to start with Pittsburgh-based people and sure. um, figuring 100%. out the location and just do them in person. I think that's going to bring a whole other level to it. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think that'd be really cool. Well, Ryan Seacrest, when you're listening, man, just um, you know, hit Eric yeah. up. He's ready to chat. <laughs> and um, Chip and Joanna, you know, you know, maybe probably the thing is is get Eric on your show. And um, he can chat to you. He can interview you on your show. Um, that'd be a good. That'd be a good gig. That would be. I don't know if it would happen, but well, you know, <laughs> you can only dream. ask, can't you? Yeah, you keep the dream yeah. alive, man. Yeah, manifest it. it. Manifest a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That was a fantastic interview, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like Thank every time we me. talk, yeah, every time we talk, I go, oh wow. It unlocks things in my head, which I love, you know, it's like, yeah. that's so cool. So cool. And 100%. I, I, you know, I really respect what you do with um, all the platforms that you're working through, you know, get running a design practice as well as social media, as well as podcasting. Um, they're all, as you said, businesses and uh, it's fantastic yeah. work. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Yeah, cool, man. Thank you. Go and have a wonderful evening, and uh, we will talk again soon. Yo, definitely. Yeah, take care and keep in touch. Cheers, buddy. Will do. By the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers it doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, let's say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is and see how they answer? And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is 
Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. You by the architect.